Well, hello everyone again and welcome here to Christ the King on New Year's Eve. And in fact, Happy New Year to you in Greenland time. Happy New Year. Actually, in our family, we have a tradition. We always find a time zone that is two to four hours ahead, and we celebrate New Year's there. And so maybe it's something that you want to adopt because we're old and late. No, I'm just kidding. No, because uh, we don't like staying up that late. Well, uh, today is a day, I think perhaps more than most days, where we are more acutely aware of the passage of time. This evening, some of you, maybe most of you perhaps, may sing the words to the Scottish poem, For Auld Lang Syne. For old acquaintance be... There's a reason I don't lead worship. I'm not going to... I had the whole song here. I'm not going to sing it here. Should old acquaintance be forgot and never thought upon. For old Lang Syne, my dear, for old Lang Syne, we shall take a cup of kindness yet for old Lang Syne. Old Lang Syne meaning for times long past. Now, of course, in classic fashion, as I was preparing for the sermon, I listened to Old Lang Syne, and YouTube took me on a rabbit trail. And it, <laughs> and it went from different Scottish versions of the song to different choirs, and then it moved into what is time? YouTube started asking the question, what is time really? And really, this song, Old Lang Syne, is a beautiful poem, and it's a poem that's set to a beautiful and yet sort of haunting tune in the minor key. And it's meant to do that because it's meant to remind us that time passes. That none of us can grab a hold of time and keep it. But time moves along. And once time is gone, it's gone. Once it passes, it passes beyond us. And so we're often left reflecting on what is time? What is our life? What has just happened? Especially as we come to the end of one year and the beginning of the next, we think about what has happened in this past year and what do we want, what do we want this next year to look like? Now, if you read through the scriptures, the scriptures have two concepts of time that are pretty prominent. There's one called chronos, which most of you are familiar with, a chronograph or a timestamp. This is the linear time that sort of moves. It's a time that we all live in. It passes. It's sequential It's this time that we all think about when we think about time. Time has passed. That's our chronos time. But the scriptures also talk about a different notion of time, which is the word kairos. And that's more of a sense of the right timing or the timing of a specific moment. It's when we say all things are right, right here, right now. That's a kairos moment. It's when we think that time seems right and full. It's a time that marks the specific and deep moments of our lives like the birth of a child or a wedding or, or a graduation or something significant in our life. And it marks that with a specific place and time. That's a kairos moment. Kairos is when all things fit and when all things work. And quite often if you read through the Gospels, you'll see this phrase that's echoed out. It says, in the fullness of time, Jesus did this. In the fullness of time, Mary said this. In the fullness of time, the Pharisees came forward and Jesus did this. It's this idea of kairos that God has a specific timing for all of history and all of the universe. And that we are a part of that. So while we are bound within chronos time, our our life passes from minute to minute and week to week and, and month to month. We also live within the kairos time of different moments. Kairos is made up of those moments. And again, as we come to the end of one year and we think about entering into a next year, 
We reflect on the passing of time, chronos, but we don't think about the time that has passed necessarily, the weeks and the months and, and the days. We think about the moments, the moments that might have happened in this past year, the kairos moments. Now, this is the depth of that song, that poem, for old Lang Syne, for times long past. Shall old friends be forgot? Should we just move past the things that are important, the relationships, the kairos moments in our lives? Or should we reflect and take note on what is happening in our lives? Now, the psalmist, long before the Scottish poem came out, in Psalm 90, verse 12, wrote these words. Teach us, O Lord, then, to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. And what he's trying to say there is that although we are caught and we are, are bound to this chronos kind of time, that we should number our days, that we should have a heart of wisdom, that we should have times and moments where we step back from the chronos time and we think about what are the kairos moments that God is doing in my life right now? What are the moments in my life and in God's plan for the world that matter? How do we have a heart of wisdom to pay attention and not just to float along, but to say, what is the time that God has given me and how am I using it? Teach us, O Lord, then, to number our days and to give us a heart of wisdom. And so for us, as we think about numbering our days and as we think about entering into 2024 with wisdom, looking and leaning into the kairos of God, we have the passage that we heard read earlier today or just a few moments ago in Isaiah chapter 61. So if you have your Bibles, there are red Bibles in your pews or you can turn in your phones or your iPads there. Uh, Isaiah 61, starting in verse 10 and coming into Isaiah chapter 62. And in keeping in the theme of time, you'll notice something a little confusing. And uh, it was interesting, we were reading through Isaiah through Advent with our kids and one of my children asked the question, is Isaiah speaking in the present, in the past, or in the future, or in the future future? Which was a great observation and a great question and something that I pass over quite frequently. And the answer, of course, to that question is Isaiah speaking in the present, the future, the future, future, the past. The answer to that question is yes. Very good. Now, that was very fast. Good job, guys. As we read through the scriptures, and especially most often in the prophets, there's this idea that God, through the Holy Spirit, led the prophets to speak often in three horizons. So there was the present that was going on around, uh, around Isaiah at the time. There's the future in the first arrival of Jesus Christ that they're pointing forward to. And then there's the future future when Jesus comes back and he remakes all things. So all three can be true at the same time. There's sort of three horizons. And some of you might remember the most Colorado of all examples that we've given here, which is if you're driving on I-70 going west from a distance, heading from the east going west, you'll notice at first that there's these small mountains called the foothills. And when you get to those foothills, you might say, especially compared to Kansas, we're in the mountains now. But as you go up past Evergreen and you sort of come around a curve, you'll see a bigger set of mountains. And you say, oh, no, we're really in the mountains now because I can see snow on the peaks. But then as you get past Georgetown and come around a curve and you see the Continental Divide, then you say, oh, no, these are the mountains. We're really in the mountains. Now, when were you really in the mountains? Well, really for all three. It's sort of like three horizons of the same truth. And so that's how you can read through the prophets as they, they speak oftentimes in three horizons and in three different tenses. In fact, if we look at this passage today, we'll notice in chapter in, in verse 10 and 61 he uses the past tense. He says, he, ha he has clothed me in robes of salvation. He has covered me in robes of righteousness. That's past tense, of course. 
61.11, the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to sprout. Future tense. And in 62.2, the nation shall see the glory of the Lord. This is future, only shall is stronger than will. It's reflecting a different tense. It's a future, future, perfect. The nation shall see the glory of the Lord. And then later it speaks back to present tense. Go through, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people. So there's present, future, future, future. There's a lot of tenses, a lot of time. There's a lot of things going on here. But really he's talking about three horizons. From Isaiah's, from Isaiah's perspective, it was present, our present, and then the future. And what Isaiah is talking about in this passage is God's promise to bring about righteousness for the world and for his people. And that promise extends to us that we will be made righteous. And he's speaking about that again in these three horizons, that we will be made righteous, we really are being made righteous, and finally we will fully be made righteous. And anytime we come across this word righteous in the Bible, we want to take a moment and pause, and we want to take note. And hopefully if you've been around this church enough, you hear the word righteous or righteousness, there should be alarm bells going off in your head. Ding, 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 ding. Because it's the center of what God is bringing about in his people. And it's what God looks at when he sees us living in the grace of what Jesus came to bring. So just really quick, I want to fire hose you with a few verses. And I promise I'll pause after this. So Psalm 33 says this, God loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. So God loves righteousness. Psalm 89 Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. So the foundation of the rule of God, what it means to be God ruling and reigning, it's sitting on the foundation of righteousness and justice. In Genesis 18, when God called Abraham, he said, For I have chosen Abraham that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. So not only is righteousness a big part of the character of God and the foundation of his throne, but when we come to walk in the ways of God, we do that by doing righteousness and justice. So you see already this really important central idea emerging from the scriptures. Last one, Amos chapter 5. Take away from me. Amos is talking about Israelites that have lost their way. Take away from me the noise of your songs, the melody of your harps. I will not listen to them, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. We know in the New Testament that righteousness is what we receive from Jesus when we come to faith. Paul says this, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. The central idea to who we are, to who God is, and to who we are, is that we are a people that are becoming righteous. At his core, it's how God relates to us. At his core, it's how God sees us and what God wants to produce in us and through us. We receive righteousness when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. Much more to say here on the word righteousness. If you ever want me to buy you a coffee and talk all about tzedakah and mishpat and all the idea of righteousness in the scriptures, I would love to do that if you're ever bored. Or if you're excited, anyway. (laughs) 
Suffice to say, it's a big idea in the scriptures, this idea of righteousness, what God is creating in us and who God actually is, is a righteous God. You say, all good, Jesse, thanks. Thanks for the offer to coffee. Thanks for this exposition of the idea of righteousness. How does this relate to Old Lang Syne, the end of the year, and the idea of time? I'm glad you asked in your brains. As we jump back into these verses in Isaiah, there are three images he gives to us for how we can see righteousness show up in our lives. And I want to submit to us as we enter into the new year, these three images hopefully can be anchors for us. Sometimes we think about what, is, what do we want our new year to look like. We reflect on the past year and we think about this new year. These three images might be good ones for you to anchor your lives, to think about what you want your life to look like. And we'll go through them pretty quickly, but we're going to keep in mind this idea of three horizons. That from our perspective, this is what has happened. This is what is happening in our lives. And this ultimately is what we can look forward to, what will happen in relation to how God is producing righteousness in us. So three things, and I'll move through them pretty quickly. First of all, in verse 61, in chapter 61, verse 10, it says, We are clothed. In righteousness. We're clothed in robes of righteousness. When we come to Christ, it says that we take on the very nature of Christ. And one of the images that the Bible uses is that we are clothed in robes of righteousness, which is, by the way, what this is meant to represent. It's not because I like dressing this way, but it's a symbol of Isaiah 61:10. And really, what our faith is that we are clothed in righteousness. That's what an alb is. That when God looks at us, when he looks at us and our, as, our, as people and as individuals, he doesn't see our past, he doesn't see our sins, he doesn't see our failings or our issues or our struggles, he doesn't look at our bank account or our list of accolades or our follower account, he doesn't look at the way our friends look at us, he doesn't look at our mistakes or failures, He doesn't measure us according to the way our parents measured us or anybody else in the world, the way they might measure us. He doesn't even measure us the way that we might look in the mirror and measure ourselves. When God looks at us, this is what he sees. We are clothed in robes of righteousness because of the goodness of Jesus Christ. He doesn't measure us according to how we performed on last year's New Year's resolutions. He measures us based on how Jesus performed, how Jesus died on the cross and rose again in total obedience and total humility and gave us, when we come to faith, robes of righteousness. When he sees you, this is what he sees, that we are clothed in robes of righteousness. That's past tense. If you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, you have been clothed in robes of righteousness. This is a great gift. On top of that, he is clothing us further in robes of righteousness. That means he's working within us a process whereby what is true of us on the inside is true of us how God sees us on the outside. That it means we're in a process of being transformed into the likeness of what we're wearing. So at the entry to this sanctuary here, you see that little pot of water, and there's a sign above it that says, remember your baptism. And every time we walk by that, this is what we remember, that God is taking us from death into life. And it's happened once we know Jesus Christ, but that happens every single day of our lives. That he is clothing us in robes of righteousness 
That everything that he does in our life is not just happening in Kronos, but Kairos. That there are moments where he moves us forward to become more righteous, to resemble what we're actually wearing. (laughs) And finally, he will clothe us in robes of righteousness. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. That is, we will become like Jesus. You've heard the phrase, you are what you eat. I just went to Texas for a few days, ate a lot of spicy food and smoked meat. It was not good for my health. <laughs> but you've heard that phrase, you are what you eat. The scriptures tell us we, are, we will become what we wear. We are what we wear. That is, if we're wearing robes of righteousness, God will make us completely and fully righteous so that what we are on the inside resembles completely what God sees on the outside. He will make us into the very image of Christ. This is God's kairos plan in the fullness of time. It's his plan for us as individuals, and it's his plan for us as the church. We see this in Isaiah and all through the Bible. We are clothed, we are being clothed, and ultimately we will become what we wear. This is the movement of God in making us righteous. That's the first image. So as you think, walk through this year, maybe one image you want to reflect on is, how am I becoming the clothes that I'm spiritually wearing in my faith in Jesus Christ? Next image, and I'll move through these next two much more quickly. Verse 11 in chapter 61. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown to sprout up, so the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all nations. So we're clothed in righteousness, and here's the image that righteousness will sprout up within us. And again, back to these horizons. God, in a sense, has already done this. Righteousness and praise has sprouted up in all nations. This is what we celebrate in the first advent. Jesus came. The Holy Spirit is upon us. We can become the righteousness of God, that we have mission and purpose and vision in our life, and we can walk through our lives together with God. This is a huge thing to celebrate. Righteousness and praise have sprouted up in the world. And God is continuing to do that. The story is not finished yet. Every single day, every single day, think about this, number our days for next year. Every single day, God is causing more and more of his righteousness to sprout up. Sometimes it's external in the things that we see around us and in the lives of others. Oftentimes it's within us. Lord knows I have lots of more righteousness I need to sprout up in my own life. My wife says, amen. And God is doing this in our lives. His righteousness and praise is growing. God will do this in our lives. Isaiah later uses the phrase, it's sort of like he plants a seed here and says righteousness will sprout up. And later in Isaiah, he says, you will be called oaks of righteousness. So it's like he planted this idea of us being an oak sapling, which, by the way, doesn't grow very quickly, but it puts down roots. And if you check it every single day, you won't feel like you see much happening. But if you go back each year, you go back over five years and ten years, you will see a strong, powerful tree grow up that bears fruit for the world, that gives shade and produces leaves. This is the vision that God has for our lives that he will cause righteousness to sprout up in our lives. Not like bamboo shoots. Sometimes it would be more fun if they sprouted up more quickly. But in his kairos time, God will cause his righteousness to sprout up in our lives. 
And that's what he will do in us and in the church. If we take time to reflect on this deeply once a year, we will notice changes. So one challenge, one encouragement, as a more Anglican way to say it, one encouragement I want to give you is mark the ways in which God is producing righteousness in you at the end of each year. What has God changed in your heart? What has he changed in your desires and your values? What has he changed in your thinking in this year? And revisit that as we come into 2025, the next year. What are the movements that God has done in his life? And I use that phrase, I love, in fact, I love the fact that Isaiah uses the word oaks of righteousness and not bamboo shoots of righteousness. Because if you're anything like me, if you compare yourself one day to the next, it can be easy to get discouraged and say, man, this chronos is happening fast, but I don't see a lot of kairos happening in my life with God shaping me. But the reality is that God's movement within us is on his time and his call to us is to continue to lean into him and to number our days and to approach each day with wisdom. And as we trust him, he will make us sprout up further and further like an oak of righteousness. That's the second image. Last image. Verse six, chapter 62, verses 1 through 2. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nation shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. Again, you can see that word, righteousness, righteousness, righteousness. It's really important in the Bible. Until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch, the nation shall see your righteousness. So the image here is that the righteousness that God is making within us is something that shines and is bright and goes forward. And this is what us nerdy people would call the ontological source of mission. Now the word ontology speaks with what we are. And so we do something because we are something. So that's the idea. So in much more simple terms, a dandelion blooms yellow and destroys my yard because it's a dandelion. A dandelion doesn't take time to sit and consider what it should do, if it should bloom this color or that color. A dandelion blooms because it is a dandelion and destroys my yard because that's what it was designed to do. It doesn't think about it. It just does what it is because it's part of its ontology. It's part of its nature. Now, our ontology, it's much more beautiful. It's much more complex. Our ontology is righteousness. Ontologically, who we are is that we are a righteous people, not because of us as individuals, but because of the work of God in our lives. And so because we are righteous, we shine out into the world. We are bright like a torch that shines out into the world. That's why we go out into the world. That's why we shine. And so why do we do whiz kids here at this church? Why do we have a big blanket drive, which was great, by the way. They were super thankful for this blanket drive. Why do we pray for our neighbors and our families? Why do we serve the poor and love those around us? Why do we love those that persecute us? Why do we love a world that oftentimes doesn't love us back? It's not because we're necessarily going to achieve something, which we will by God's grace. We do that because it's part of our ontology. It's who we are. We are righteous people. And what does righteousness do? It shines out by its own nature. The righteousness of God shines out. 
So that's the last question I want to invite you to ask as we enter into 2024. How does the righteousness that we wear that is sprouting up within us, how is that righteousness shining out in our own lives? How is it like a torch that's being carried out into the darkness? Teach us again, O Lord, to number our days as we enter into 2024. Give us, O Lord, a heart of wisdom, the deep prayer that captures the same way that we can approach God as we enter into this new year. We are all all bound to the chronos of the world, but God calls us into his kairos, his righteousness that's coming out. So as we reflect this evening, as we sing songs like, For Old Lang Syne, Shall robed righteousness be for naught, shall sprouts turn to oaks, shall righteousness shine out for the love of Christ. As we think about what God's doing in our lives, God's invitation is always present to us. That we lean into his kairos, that we lean into his life, that we're drawn into a time where we number our days. We don't just let them pass, but we lean into them with intentionality and purpose. Because God will cause his righteousness to shine out through our own lives. And ultimately, he will remake all things under his righteous rule. It's a great thing that we can praise, and it's a great hope that we can carry into this new year. So let me pray for us, and we'll continue. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your love, and we thank you that your righteousness was given to us by your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, that we're not left to live on our own merits, that we're not left to try to figure out all of life by ourselves, that we're not bound only to Kronos, that we do have hope for your Kairos to move in all of our lives and in the world. But we pray for ourselves and we pray for this church that you would give us a heart of wisdom, that your spirit would guide us with intentionality into this new year, that we would look to you in all things and we would give you praise and honor as we think about our own lives. So we lift this time up to your great and holy name. Amen.